So my name is Shalonda with Yamoja Speaks. And of course, we are doing the 31 interviews, 31 perspectives with the collaboration of Talk It Out, which is organized by Alexis Smith. And what this consume us is talking about foster care awareness, foster care experiences, as well as dealing with mental health. And we're talking to different people to gain different perspectives of mental health in the broader community, but also in foster care. And what we're trying to understand is the understanding of what do people deal with and how we interact with them. Also, how do we transform that traumatic experience into something positive? So now I have the beautiful Miss Sonja. Can you introduce yourself and kind of give some background as to what you do and who you interact with? Well, I am what they call a licensed professional clinical counselor. And what I do is called talk therapy. Uh, and I use a therapy called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's simply based on the premise that what we think is what we do. So in order to change our behavior, we have to change our thinking. I have been doing this for about 10 years. So now I have my own private practice. Prior to that, I did community counseling. And this is a profession that I absolutely love. Okay, okay. So you've been doing this work for 10 years. Um, just as like an overview, is there anything that kind of stuck out that within this time period that made an impression on you? Absolutely. I was thinking just the other day, I used to work, there was a place called the Free Clinic. It has a different name now, but it was a wonderful agency that was open to the community for mental health also for uh, dental care and physical health. Okay. And when I was actually just interviewing for the job, a man came up to me and said, you don't remember me. And I said, I tried to play it off and say, well, kind of, sort of, but I didn't remember him. Yes. He told me that at one point he had been under my supervision for parole mm -hmm. and that instead of he had come into the office and he had been uh, drinking excessively was high and he told me that I could have made the decision to return him to prison but instead I made a decision to get him help and I have to tell you that was one of the situations that really pushed me into the profession Prior to doing counseling, I served uh, as a parole officer for the state of Ohio, supervising uh, felons that were released from prison. But I want to do something more. I want to attack the problem before people ended up in that kind of position. But just knowing that I could make decisions that would actually change a person's life, just is is so powerful and so that man who at one time had been a felon had an alcohol problem was now working as a drug and alcohol counselor serving the community yes 
I like that story because it speaks to how we're able to change, right? It speaks to where Absolutely. we start from and how we can evolve into bettering our lives when that problem is addressed, right? So when our mental health is right and we are able to reflect on our experiences and what is leading us to do certain behaviors, right? So I yeah. absolutely love that story and how you guys started. Um, I want to know if, because I know in foster care, the background is we are kind of forced into counseling, right? There is something that we're told, is something wrong with you? You need some help. And so some of us don't really like talk therapy, but that's what we're kind of geared to going into. Have you mm -hmm. encountered anyone, they don't have to have the foster care background, but they were sent to you through a court order and they were forced to kind of talk out their problems because they really needed it, but they weren't really at the phase of wanting to come in to do this with you? Absolutely. Now, with parole, often the parole board will issue a mandate to that person. We're going to parole you back to the community, but you must participate in counseling. Well, many people haven't done counseling or don't believe they have a problem or feel like, ah, oh, one more thing I have to do is so unfair. But what I have found that if I am open about the fact that I am there to help them, I'm not there to judge, I want to help them make a difference in their life, I think most people I have found are very open. And I think that once you understand as the person who is receiving counseling that this is another tool that can make a positive impact on your life, that it works out. Okay, so- We're more accepting of that help. Okay, so you mentioned that, you know, they are kind of told to come get the counseling, but they really don't want it. But you give them um, the option of feeling comfortable and vulnerable with you to get open enough to have that conversation. How do you get them to be comfortable enough to open up to you? by absolutely telling them, first of all, and I don't think everyone understands this, but everything you tell a therapist is confidential. That means that I can't tell anyone what you have shared with me. That includes your parents, if you're married, your husband or your wife. So I think once you remove that barrier, it helps to know that Whatever I say in this space, in a job of a therapist is to create what we call a safe space where you can talk about anything and everything. And I think that helps tremendously. Maybe for the first time, a person feels like they are really being listened to, okay. that they are the center of that attention, and that there's someone who really cares about what they're feeling and what they're thinking and, and what the hardships have been and what the highs have been. Uh, and I think also just taking time, understanding that we're not going to accomplish whatever we need to in terms of your healing in a day or one session or two sessions. It might be that we're, we're in progress in doing sessions for a year or years. Yeah. Because some trauma has gone on for guess what, how long? Years. So that healing can take just as long. Yes, I agreed. 
So you mentioned that, you know, people have to kind of get comfortable with it. People have to kind of understand that, you know, the healing process takes a while, right? And they have to understand that it takes a while because the trauma that they face stems back a while and they had time to develop this trauma. So for someone that's kind of new to talk therapy, what would be like a kind of setup for if they were to enter and they don't know what to expect? Well, one thing that I think people can be confused about is that when you do therapy, what you do, you set an appointment with a therapist. So the therapist isn't a friend that you call occasionally to talk to, but it's a professional you go to, like you would go to a medical doctor because you have a sinus infection or or some other physical problem. So you set a time and a date the sessions are 50 minutes. It's you're charged an hour because then that therapist takes notes regarding that session. Notes are vital for that therapist. So when I talk to you the following session, we can go over what did I assign for homework or tasks that I thought would help you, or what were some of the points that we didn't cover. So you know you're gonna talk to that person for 50 minutes. You're going to be in hopefully a space that's comfortable for you in an office setting or in a, some therapists will use their home as a setting to be more comfortable. And it's a time where you actually, you can set the pace about what you want to talk about. There's sessions that I have where people will tell me, no, I don't want to talk about that yet. It's too painful or too hard. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the client sets the pace and they also dictate the type of healing that goes on. And mm-hmm. once you understand that, that you're in charge, this is your healing. And the healing happens when you do the work. Another thing that I think people have a misconception about is that therapy is easy. Therapy can be very hard. Why? Because you're bringing up this trauma that maybe you really have socked away in the back of your mind. And so the healing process starts when you actually, you bring it up, you bring up the trauma, you look at it, you examine it, you talk about it. You understand the role you play or didn't play. The role that the other person who maybe caused your pain paid up, but and why they played that role. I mean, what was what was it about your mother or father that made them treat you in a certain way? Or what was it about a teacher that said the most horrible thing to you? So once you actually examine it, understand that it is often we think things happen to us because it's our fault. It is not your fault. That's, you know, so it's, it's important to understand, to move from being a feeling like you are a victim to feeling very empowered, that you have the power to change who you are or who you were and to become yeah. the person that you want to become. And that's when the healing starts. But it's also, it's, it's not easy. Therapy is not easy, but the results are powerful. 
healing is powerful when you can go from what that that individual that man who stays in my mind go from a person who is doing wrong things or bad things drinking to excess an alcoholic moving to a person who actually is helping others who are in the same position so going from being this negative person destructive person to being a person who is whole that's what therapy should do. It should take your brokenness and make you whole. Mm. Mm. So in your opinion, why do you think that people are afraid and shy away from therapy? Well, first of all, it especially I'm African American and I, you know, my heart is with the African American community. And I think for a long time we we have put a stigma on mental health, but it's important to remember that mental health is just like physical health. You have to take care of your emotions, same way you take care of your body. So now we know that with our bodies that in order for us to be healthy, we have to eat the right things. We have to exercise. Uh, we have to do good things for our body, take our vitamins and, th and those kind of things. But we also now understand that for good mental health, we have to deal with our emotions. And mental health, there's an array of different types of issues with mental health, just like there is an array of different types of physical issues with your body. Some people we know, well, they have high blood pressure, they have diabetes, or uh, they have a heart problem, or they have arthritis. It's the same thing with mental health. Some of us deal with depression. Some of us deal with anxiety or schizophrenia, uh, bipolar. So same types of issues, different issues, all of them having to do with our mind. Mm -hmm. And so once we understand that we are human beings that have two parts, I would say three parts, because I add the spiritual part. And that's where religion or whatever spiritual practice you, you, you practice in your life, it brings you peace. So we are physical, we are emotional, and we are spiritual. And we have, to, uh, we have to look at all of those to keep us healthy. And by the way, everyone, everyone has to deal with emotions. Mm -hmm. And so everyone at some point in their life are going to or should seek mental health counseling, including mm -hmm. the person that's talking to you. Yeah. I have a therapist and I think people are always surprised. They're like, what? <laughs> Yes, I'm human too, and I have emotions. Yes. So I think once we remove that thick, thick well, it's like a, a stigma, then we can move forward in terms of making our community healthy. Yes, yes, I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that when we deal with our emotions, and you, you mentioned like, bipolar, uh, manic depression, schizophrenia, um, some of the things we don't want to be stigmatized with. A lot of these, we don't want the label 
up uh, on us because it's yes. what we say uh crazy we just we just love yeah. everything in the same category as being crazy right. and we have to look at it different because you don't you really don't when a person says they have uh diabetes you don't say oh you're horrible yeah. or if they say you know oh i have high blood pressure you don't go oh what's wrong with you <laughs> uh, it's just, but it's the same thing with mental health the, and and now that we are smarter about mental health, we still need more research. We need to find out more what makes our mind tick. We understand that there's some things that are genetic that you are simply born with and that you have to learn how to, to deal with that. So uh, we're getting there, we're getting better. But, and I, what I really dislike is that sometimes uh, in churches, Christianity will say, ah, you have depression because you haven't prayed enough, or you have schizophrenia because you know the devil has come into your life. That has nothing to do with mental health. Your, uh, your connection to God, to a higher spirit or to Jehovah has nothing to do with your mental health. You know, you can, you're a good person. You can, you are a good person. And you still will have mental health issues, just yeah. like you will still have physical issues. Mm -hmm. They are one and of the same. Mm. Okay. So what are some methods? I know that you do a talk therapy, but what are some techniques or tools that you give to your clients to deal with like deeply rooted emotional issues from childhood well i i think the methods i use can be for trauma or they can be for uh you have depression that is i would say that it is inherent it's not situational or sometimes there's a difference situational depression is when you come to me and you say well listen i'm having a hard time i just lost my parents that's a situation. Or if you come to me and you say, you know what, I have just been feeling like there's been a cloud over my head ever since I could remember. Well, that means that probably you have a gene that dictates that's a type of emotion you have, a depressed mm -hmm. mood. But either one of those are tools that I love to use, but it depends on what that client likes to do. I love journaling. Because I think that uh, that is a way for you to actually kind of write down your thoughts and we can go over what are you thinking? Does it make sense what you're thinking? Or is there a different way of approaching that problem? I think journaling is very helpful. It doesn't have to be done like every day at six o'clock or, you know, before you go to bed. It doesn't, I don't want it to be regimented. I also like meditation and people will tell me, I can't meditate, you know, cause my mind is just so active. And I was like, yeah, it's really, you know, it can be hard, but other people, a man just told me he can do it for an hour. I was like, wow, that's good. But I encourage people to start off with just 60 seconds or five minutes. Yeah. to have a timer on their iPhone or wherever, do five minutes just to clear your mind and calm yourself. 
and to do that throughout the day. Uh, another thing is to do, I actually did role playing where I will play the person who victimized you and you can, we can have a, a, a conversation with you telling that person how they made you feel. Okay. Holler and scream at them. Mm -hmm. uh, so role playing is, is helpful. Um, and gives you the opportunity maybe to say some of the things that you couldn't say. Maybe that person is no longer with us or you're still feeling uncomfortable going to that person and actually telling them how they hurt you. Another method is to write the person who hurt you a letter. Yeah. And often, that, often when we're dealing with trauma, that person is no longer with us. But you write the letter anyway. I don't suggest sending it because I want you just to pour out your heart and say exactly what you're feeling, what they did to you, and why you, why it hurt you. And then burning the letter. Just burn it. Let it go up in smoke. So there are many ways of just kind of getting that trauma out or talking about it, looking at it, examining it, and then getting rid of it moving on and and that's what you're trying to do with trauma you're trying to move away from it and not get stuck and often what happens we are stuck in that trauma that we experience when we are five years old ten years old there was a myth that children don't really feel anything or see anything when there's trauma or horrible experiences around them. Now we know that children from birth feel the emotions that are around them. They feel their mother's emotion. They feel their father's emotion. And so trauma can happen at any age. And what we have found is that when the trauma happens, it stops, it actually stops you from maturing. So let's say that at 16, you experience sexual abuse. Even though you're 50, your maturity still can be 16. It's cut off your maturity. Mm -hmm. And so by dealing with that trauma, we're able to move you from where you were at 16 to where you should be at 40 or 50 years old. Okay. So I like a few things. I like the writing of the letters. I like the journaling, even though you don't have to stick with the routine um, because that could be like tedious. If I need to write and sit down and I don't think I have anything to say or I'm not really understanding how I feel, it can be like, well, I must do this. And then I get mm -hmm. you know straight away from it and feel bad. So I think that not having a routine with journaling is a great thing. But what caught my attention is the role play, because when we role play or acting, um, in another sense, when we're acting out, we are able to kind of control the narrative, right? So yes. we, can, we can say whatever we feel. And yes. I like this idea because if you can't talk to the person because they refuse to listen, 
or they denounce their uh, ability to say, I refuse to take a, accountability for that. Yeah. I didn't do it. Right. Yeah. And then if they, if they say they didn't do it, it hits us differently because yeah. we know that we had a certain emotional attachment to what was occurring throughout that time period. Yeah. And so I, I like the idea of role playing and acting it out because it gives us a sense of, I feel stronger because I was able to yeah. believe power. And I did it with one client. And the reason I did it was that he had to make a very painful phone call. He had to call a person and apologize. So I said, well, listen, the person can accept the apology and be grateful, but also they can be, you're kind of late calling me to apologize. And I'm not going to accept your apology. You know, so it could go the other way. So I played both roles. And so the first role, I was, you know, very gracious and thanked him for calling and how much it meant to me. And I said, let's do the reverse because it could go either way. And, um, you know, the other role I played was like, you know, this is ridiculous. This is years later. And you, you're calling me. You tell me you're sorry. You're late. You were horrible. So it helps also if you have to approach a difficult situation, it helps you prepare for whatever the outcome may be. Because, you know, this isn't, real life isn't like Lifetime movies where everything just works out beautiful. You know, like you go to your parent and your mom and she says, you know, yes, I was abusive and I'm so sorry. Because sometimes, like you said, there's denial. You know, there's there's strong denial when a person really has done the wrong thing. And so the way they live with that is they deny that it ever happened. Yeah. And so let's say that a young girl goes to her mom and, you know, says, well, you know that my, you know, your brother was sexually abusing me. Well, the mother could say you're wrong. It was your fault. You were so seductive. No, you know, at six years old, no, that, that little girl was not seductive. The, by the way, the, the person whose abuser is always wrong, always. So, but you have to be prepared for that person who hurts you to be in denial, in total denial. Yes, and and then decide how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to move on from that? Okay. And this one, so I want to kind of pivot into the mental health questions because you definitely touched upon a few things: schizophrenia, deep depression, uh, situational depression, or genetic, which is like the person kind of feeling it throughout their entire life because you know the mom and the dad basically have to go through their trauma and figure that out but if they don't do it then it kind of transcends into the next generation so I know that a lot of people were talking about mental health and when you talk about it in some cases it can be hyper um, saturated and maybe kind Mm -hmm. of in a way that it's like oh man here they go again or it's wow, really, people really deal with mental health and they don't get the help that they need and then situations occur. So how would you describe mental health? I think 
um, because we talked about it, we touched on it a little bit. If people would look at mental health the same way they would look at physical health. Right. So when something is wrong, like when my, my foot is hurting, then what I do is make an appointment with my doctor say, you know what? My foot is hurting. What do you think is wrong? So it's like a check-in when something is hurting. Or when I may be, um, you know, I can say that, uh, let me think of something that I, maybe this is allergy season is for me all the time. I think it's an allergy, but you know, God, doctor, I have, you know, runny nose, itchy eyes. I'm good. What am I going to do? I go to the doctor and make an appointment. The same thing with mental health. Let's say that I find myself just really unable to function. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, I just lost my mom and it's been, you know, we, we, we've had their funeral. Uh, it's been a month. And I still, I can't work. I just don't, um, I can't, I'm not sleeping well. I don't want to get out of bed. I'm crying for no reason. Well, those are are signs that that's not your normal functioning. And so what should you do? What you do is you make an appointment with a doctor. But this doctor is a mental health doctor. And it doesn't have to be someone with a PhD, but someone who is a certified professional counselor. So, or, you know, clinical professional counselor. And it's the same thing with mental health. So if we look at it that way, then that's why I am of the belief that everyone at some point during their life journey, because we all have a life journey and we all are going to have hurdles. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have, what ethnic group you, you're in, whether you're male or female, your sexual orientation, there are going to be points in your life where you are like, how do I jump over this hurdle? Yeah. Because I'm not functioning the way I should function, the way I've always been able to function. Mm-hmm. And that's the time where you do a check-in. And People who, uh, there's some people what I truly recommend and what I wish people would do more of, and I wish I had done it myself, by the way, I've been guilty, is that when you decide that you are going to marry someone or you're going to live with them and have a partnership, you need to actually do some couples counseling to figure out how are we going to live together as a couple? You know, how are we gonna look at finance? How are we gonna look at raising children? Uh, Do we have conflict in terms of our religious beliefs? So counseling isn't just for those points where there's a hurdle that you're facing that you have to jump over, but it's also can be preventative. So instead of waiting until, you know, you're in the relationship and you find out, oh my goodness, he doesn't want children and I wanted five children. Wow, we, maybe we should have talked about this before. Or, you know, he believes in just spending the money all as it comes and I'm a saver. Or, 
he doesn't care how the house looks and I'm a neat freak. So that's what I call like looking at the issue before it becomes an issue. So counseling can be done when there's actually a problem that you're going to address or it can be preventative. Um, and uh, it also can be just ongoing. It doesn't have to be because you are experiencing some type of uh, mental health diagnosis, but maybe it's an adjustment in life. You know, I at one point I was um, married for 30 years and now I'm single. How do I navigate that? Or I am single and I find myself having to raise a child by myself. How do I navigate that? So they're all different occasions in life where really counseling is very positive for our lives, has a positive impact. Okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I like the, um, uh-oh, here it is. I like the understanding that preventative measures before a problem actually exists, let's do the work beforehand so that we understand each other. And you even mentioned uh, having a relationship therapy session. And I think I've seen that on the rise more often because we do have different perspectives that we come with, right? And Absolutely. this would be the work of our healing process. And if yes. we're about to uh, do this unit, union together, then yeah. the union is sealed when we're able to kind of understand how we communicate best and efficiently so that we can limit as much trauma that we pass down to the next generation. And Absolutely. so- know that this is also a big thing that people say, <laughs> myself included, <laughs> that I am high functioning. <laughs> okay. So it doesn't, it doesn't relieve the fact that I might experience depression or anxiety, or I might be um, overthinking about situations. So it doesn't yeah. relieve me of that. But um, when I say that I'm high functioning, it basically kind of gives me the ability to still do like I'm still functioning I'm still going to work I'm still productive or at least my life is still going a little bit in the direction uh, yes. that I wish it to go but what do you think about people who refer to themselves as high functioning you know with anxiety or depression what do you think when you when you hear that well what I think is that uh, you can have those kind of traits of anxiety, yeah. uh, maybe occasional uh, depressed moves, and mm -hmm. still be able to, to function. But yeah. counseling helps you navigate through that, even when you are high functioning. Yeah. Counseling still is beneficial. Yeah. So there are points where obviously people are, because with diagnosing, like for depression, we have a scale of going from severe, moderate, or mild. So possibly when you say, you know, you're in a depressed mood, it could be mild, which means you still get dressed, you still shower, you still take care of the kids, you still work, and you still are, you know, you have friends. But it can get to a point where it's severe, and then you're not functioning at all. So there's always a continuum when you're making a diagnosis. 
So even being high functioning, there are points where you actually, not points, I would say absolutely that you still would benefit by counseling. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree because even though, you know, you might be high functioning, let's say one day you are so productive, but then the next day um, you're a high functioning person, but the next day you just kind of yeah. get out of it, right? So yeah. if you have too many days where you're out of it and you're not uh, really in the mood, you have to address that problem because it can go and lead into the more severe. And absolutely. so even if we don't realize that it's kind of leaning into the severe as well, because I always said that I was high functioning, which helped me to graduate or um, yeah. helped me to stay focused. And so mm -hmm. I put my time and effort into places, but I also have to attribute to like, I was really mentally um out of it and so I was doing things that were out of character and people mm -hmm. would look at my success now and say well you've made it look at you look at you and I was like I was mentally unhealthy look at me look at me because it took a toll mm -hmm. on me I was emotional I couldn't control what was happening in my world even though I had really positive things mm -hmm. I still felt emotionally detached away from it to the point where I wanted to quit school so you could be high functioning and still be in the action of doing something, but feeling so terrible that you can't really make that connection of being happy for yourself. So yes, I, I think that there's also a disconnect that we feel, even though we're high functioning um, sure. with it. Sure. Cause you know, you hear all the time about successful people. I mean that they, and then you find out that they have, they have some serious mental health issues yeah. and maybe sadly sometimes find themselves suicidal. So you can be fun highly functioning in your, your profession and doing well, but still have mental health issues. That's why it's so important that, cause I'm glad we're talking, removing the stigma, you know, get help, you know, that as soon as you feel like, Oh, I'm just not, function the way I function because remember we're all different but you know what you feel like I love it a client told me that she was she wanted therapy because she wanted to be her best self yeah. and that is what our goal should always be I want to be my best self physically emotionally and spiritually and whatever that entails yeah you know and, and the spiritual part is it I think everyone needs some type of belief in terms of the universe. It doesn't have to be Christianity. It can be, you know, uh, Islam, uh, whatever, or just that you simply, some people tell me they believe in a higher power, but they're, but understanding that you are not a one component human being. You have three dimensions that, and all of them need to be taken care of. True. Yes, I definitely agreed. So if, let's say we have friends and family members, we're on our journey to healing, and we're healing past traumas from, you know, uh, childhood being inflicted with someone else's pain. And we looked at it and we're like, wait a second, this don't belong to me. And so we're getting rid of this, right? And mm -hmm. We are now interacting with people who are still upon their journey of the beginning stage. And 
they might be highly depressed or might experience bipolar depression, manic depression, high anxiety, or even schizophrenia, but don't want to be checked because they don't want the stigma of it. So how would I, as a person that's working on my mental health, kind of interact with someone who is at the beginning stages and that beginning stage might be rejection of it? Well, sometimes, depending on where that client is at and where their family member is at or their loved one, sometimes we have to draw these boundaries where we can't let them uh, come into our lives and destroy all the good work we have done or encringe upon the good work we have done. And so sometimes it requires letting go and understanding that a person has to come to the mountain themselves and decide they're going to climb it. They have to make the decision. You can't heal them. You can't make them better. They have to decide that they want to be better. Mm -hmm. I have parents that will call me and say, listen, my daughter, my son, they really need counseling. I said, well, perhaps they do. But they need to call me. They need to call me and tell me they want the help and yeah. they need to make the appointment. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with, with that, that person who's dealing with a family member. What you can do is encourage them to get counseling and say that and tell them that you love them and you will support them on their journey to heal, but understanding you cannot do it for them. When people tell me that they have made the appointment, but they have looked for the therapist, they have made the appointment, I'm like, that's that's not it. That's not that that person needs to do all of that. You can't do it for them. You know, if it were possible, when there's someone we love, we want them to be better. And often if we could, we would we would say, well. Let me do the therapy for you, but that doesn't work. Yeah. So it, I think it's, it's really hard for people to understand that you can love a family member, but maybe they just aren't good for you to have in your life. Yes. Not, not, not close. <laughs> you know, there's an old country saying like handle them with a long handle spoon or broom, you know, so not close, be, and always being kind, respectful. I, I strongly believe, you know, you have to respect your parents, but you do not have to have them in the inner circle of your life. I like that you mentioned the boundaries and, you know, loving someone from afar. So I just did a podcast episode and I was talking about the person is either hindering your success or building with you to become successful. And that the relationships that we have, it's either taking us away from our goals or you know, continuing to remind us of them. And so the boundaries, it could be friends, family, but the boundaries in place help us to kind of maintain our mental sanity. Because if we are on this journey of healing and we're getting to the bottom of, 
wow, they hurt me in this way. And this is why I am triggered in that way. We're now understanding and becoming more reflective upon changing certain patterns about ourselves, right? And addressing right. what the cause was. So when we address that, we then have a changed behavior. And so when we're going through that and a person wants to maintain that, we're like, mm -hmm. we're trying to fight with it. But the reality is, if someone crossed that boundary after you told them, then there has to be some type of consequence. And I know that while in foster care, we want to run back to what we know is familiar, which is family uh, members. Yes. And we don't set up these boundaries with family members because we want to be included because we've been separated from our families for so long. We, we're in foster care, we're in group homes, we're experiencing things that we shouldn't have to experience. And so, we run back to what is familiar and that is our parents and not setting up those boundaries. So I'm happy that you mentioned to set up those boundaries and kind of understand where you are and what you need to work on. And then looking at those relationships that's close to you and figuring out, well, that's their trauma and I don't want it. I don't want to accept it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna participate in their trauma. Yeah. And I know it's so hard because, and you just hit, you hit the nail, I mean, just right on, that we want to go back to what's familiar. We want to go back to family. We want to connect with our mother and with our father. But sometimes that's just not healthy for us to do. Sometimes we're talking about toxic relationships. And so, you know, it's really important to understand because a person is a family member, because they're your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your uncle, does not give them the right to really abuse you in any way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to make that decision that I'm not going to accept that type of behavior or verbal our physical abuse from a relative because they are a relative. That does not give them carte blanche to be hurtful. And it, and believe it or not, is is people make family. Sometimes you know. Sometimes it's because you didn't know your family, and sometimes it's because your family is toxic. They're unhealthy. <laughs> And so you go ahead and, and you find people in your life, you find a woman who's like, oh, she's the type of mother I would want. I'm going to make her my mom. Or that, you know, a friend becomes a sister. Or, you know, and you find maybe a, a, a man who is just like a father figure to you. Yeah. So often in life, depending on the cards that we are dealt, and that's what we have to play with, we we form other family they're not biological family but they still can play the role of family but but it's just so i see this often where we feel we have to just accept that abuse because they're our mom or dad no you don't yeah no you don't <laughs> move away run yeah and what's yeah. comfortable is not always good for you Yes. Sometimes you need to learn a new behavior. You need to learn to be in a, a, a different place in life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's the missing piece 
of the conversation when we're talking to younger people who want to be connected. For me personally, I didn't want to be the odd one. And, and when I was in childhood, I felt like the odd one because I was like this smart kid that kind of just studied and I didn't talk. I didn't like going outside. I didn't like people. And so I kind of grew into this odd person. And I, I thought of myself as being a little different. And then when I got a little bit older, I started to understand that that difference made me unique. And I can use this to my ability. And then I went through another phase of, well, I know for a fact that if I become too successful, I know who's going to leave. So I can see the people and the relationships that will be done once I make it to a certain level of success. And I wanted to maintain that. You know, I wanted to keep sure. those people and yeah. I went through a phase of wanting to help them kind of make the yeah. adjustments that come along with me. But in the reflection of this, I was also hurting myself in the process of trying to help them. And so sure. I was going through a lot of emotional issues that I didn't have no right of going through because it wasn't my emotional issue. It yeah. wasn't the things that I needed to deal with or I caused for myself. It was because I was in close connection with someone that I really needed to let go and kind of heal their own. And yeah. I'm happy that I had that experience because I was able to give them something that they otherwise didn't have. So I think for certain experiences, we definitely need to be in certain spaces and kind of understand what is my role? What did I do to help them? But ultimately, did they get the message? Are they now upon the journey of continuing what I've done to help them? Because now it's uh, hurting me to the point where it is, it's affecting my life, right? So now I have to back away. And did I give them the necessary tools to utilize to start building upon that? And yes, because we plant seeds, right? And it takes the person to cultivate those seeds and allow it to flourish. And so I think with the younger generations kind of telling them that it's okay that your parents are not officially all the way together. If you went into foster care, Look at the reason behind that. Why did we go into foster care? We have great qualities, and I can recognize my great qualities that my mom gave to me, right? My dad gave to me, my grandmother gave to me. I can tell them all of the good things that they were doing, but I could also be reflective and say, hey, you missed the mark. And it doesn't take away from all the great things that they've done but it lets them know where they can be held accountable to and how mm -hmm. it impacted my life because now I'm here, right? And it structured my life this way. So I think what we have to give is the tools to tell young people that mm -hmm. it's okay to see your parents both in the positive and the negative space, but it's also equally okay if they haven't gotten their life together to this point that you can back off because you aren't the parent. They are the parent and they haven't gotten to parenting themselves. But now you are in a space of parenting yourself and I'm in a space of parenting myself. And what does that look like? And understanding that it may look a little similar to my parents raising me, but then I might add in based off the family or the connections that I've made and picking out characteristics of people that I liked and was like, I want this. And my mom didn't have that quality. So I want to take this from her. 
oh, my dad didn't have that quality, so I want to take it from him. And then parenting myself from that space of taking these different qualities from people and then using that to better myself. Absolutely. I think you hit upon something else, too, and that is at some point when we become adults, we're able to look at our parents as people. And that entails this, you're going to have to learn how to forgive because your parents are human beings and probably have suffered their own trauma. They say at one time, the victimizer was a victim. Yes. (laughs) And so the, the power of forgiveness is that it begins our healing process also. Because when I forgive you, then I can move on and do some healing. When I haven't forgiven you, and and this is, I'm stealing this from somewhere where it's like you taking the poison and the person is just fine, but you're, you're, you're taking the poison when you don't have that forgiving heart. So we have to learn how to look at our parents as human beings. And as you said, they're positive and negative traits that they had. Often they have done the best they could do with what they had. They've done the best they could do with what they had. And so to understand that and to be forgiving, but also understanding also doesn't mean that you have to stay in the pool of their trauma. You can move away from it. And also, you know, like you you talk about planting the seeds, but once you planted the seed, then sometimes you just have to move away Mm -hmm. because sometimes people are very open to being different and to being healing and to to thrive and to be a better person. And sometimes at that point, they're not open for it. And that's fine. And you just have to move on. Um, And also there are people in a family who break the generational curse. And the family doesn't look at them in a positive way. They're like, huh, what is she doing? Trying to be healthy and trying to educate herself and trying to have a strong family. And so, but you have to decide whether am I going to be this person who's unhealthy, who's in toxic relationships with, with men who can't raise their children? Or am I going to try and move on and be very different? Still loving my family, but not a part of that type of lifestyle. Right. And that's hard. And also there's, there's that saying, and it's so true, like crabs in the bucket. When you're trying to get out the bucket, when the crab is trying to get out the bucket, the other crabs will try desperately to pull it back in. And so you can't let yourself be pulled back in. Ah, I like it. I like that. As um, is there anything that you would like to like finish off with? Any resources that you would like to give? Um, anything at all? Last final thoughts to wrap it up. What I would like people to do, and as not just as a resource, but just simply what we ended with, and that is when you're feeling like, there's something that you just can't overcome. You're feeling bad emotionally, feeling like you can't function. Don't let yourself go from day to day feeling that way. Reach out. 
and reach out. If you can't reach out to a therapist, reach out to your pastor, a friend, a family member, but get help. That's, that's the most important thing. Get help. Don't feel like you have to continue to live in a way where you're just feeling emotionally bad and down. Okay. I think that was a great way of ending it. Yeah. To get help. And we are going to get more interviews with different people. So we're going to get more perspectives from different um, therapists, from different people that worked with uh, foster care and foster youth, foster parents. And so this is just the beginning of the interviews and the different perspectives about mental health and foster care. But I know that this is you know, such an opportunity for people to really understand that we are tearing down the stigma right now. And I'm happy to be a part of the, the many people who's rallying behind this and being a part of this movement right now. So thank you for doing this uh, interview with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.